0: let's open your Bibles tonight to the book of Exodus. As we've been traveling with this journey to the promised land, and I've said this many times before, you might say, well, normally on a Wednesday night, we go through a book in the New Testament. We haven't spent on Wednesday night since we go line by line and go through the whole book. We haven't spent a whole bunch of time in the old. And you might say, well, you know, what can I learn from these people? They lived thousands of years ago. They lived a different life uh, you know, I'm a believer. I'm part of the New Covenant. They're part of the Old Covenant. What can I learn from them? Well, the New Testament is full of examples that, bring, that go back to the Israelites. And in fact, it says, these things happen to them as an example for us. There are things we learn. And, and in fact, in, light, in the light of Christ, you find out things. You know, I never would, if the scripture didn't say it, I don't think I ever would have been able to stand up here and tell you that when the water came out of the rock for the Israelites, that that rock represented Christ. I would have thought I was taking a giant leap, but the Bible says it. It says that rock was Christ. So there is so much in that, that we see Jesus and we see Christ and we see a foreshadowing of the new covenant, even in the old. And so we're gonna journey with the Israelites to the promised land. And uh, we've come to that part of Exodus where we, we come upon this these plagues, and I don't know about you, but I was fascinated with with this story when I was a kid, and it freaked me out a little bit, but I was fascinated by it. The Picture Bible did did a fantastic job portraying the plagues, but I often not only read it in fascination, but I was often a little uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable that these things were happening to people, and people that undoubtedly God loved, and you know, I... Water turned to blood, okay, no big deal, right? Frogs everywhere, no big deal. But that last plague, you know, the firstborn being killed, that sounds terrible. And and that was hard for me to process. Then you think about how many chances God gave these people. And then you think about what he could have done. And I think about even now when you read the book of Revelation, and that was another book I was fascinated with as a kid. And a lot of people look at that and see terror. You should look at it and see hope. It's not a book of terror. It's a book of hope. It's a book of Jesus, isn't it? Yes. It starts out that way. It says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, what about those tribulations? What about those, those things that are going to come on the earth? Have it ever occurred to you that God could wipe out the earth with one word? But he doesn't. How many times could he have wiped out the earth? And then in the book of Revelation, when, when his people are being persecuted, when the earth is under the heavy weight of sin, when all things have be, have need to become new, why is it that instead of, you know, uh, uh, this trumpet blowing and, and this thing happening and this thing happening, why doesn't God just end the whole thing and do it right away? Well, the reason is simple. Because God is not willing that any should perish. And so with every one of those trumpets, with every one of those seals in the book of Revelation, God is saying, wake up, here's your chance. Wake up, wake up, wake up, because our God is a God of great mercy. I want to read you something in Exodus chapter 9. If you follow through the book of Exodus, you know that the first plague was water turned to blood. And the Bible tells us it turned to blood because the fish died. So Egypt was heavily reliant on the water. They lived right by the Nile, heavily reliant on the on what lived in the water and the water itself. Water turned to blood. Then you've got a plague of frogs, which you just think about these caterpillars falling from the trees. That's nothing. That's nothing, guys. Can you imagine a plague of frogs so much that it fills all the streets? The Bible says when Moses and Aaron pleaded to God, "Okay, that's enough, make it stop." then the frogs just died. And the Bible tells us that they had to sweep them up into heaps in the streets. Can you imagine heaps of dead frogs in the streets? Not fun. What's happening in between each of these plagues? In between each of these plagues, Moses goes to Pharaoh again and says, now let my people go. And what does Pharaoh keep saying? No. A couple times he says yes and then changes his mind. Once he says yes and changes his mind. Every time he's saying no, no. Every time he has a chance, every time he says no. Then there's a plague of, of, of gnats and flies. You remember the gnats, the biting insects, the flies? Then there's the livestock die, then there's boils, then there's hail, then there's locusts, then there's darkness. Every single time Moses comes and says, let my people go. Every single time Pharaoh says no. In fact, Scripture says that there were times where he, he started to let up and then God stopped the plagues, and then Pharaoh said, oh, it's over. And what's so dumb about that? It was like six plagues in that he did that. Like, he, oh, the, the trouble is over. I take it back. You have to stay. Like he didn't know there was something else coming. And so, you know, one thing that we've got to ask ourselves is, God, what, what was the deal with the plagues? Why the plagues? And certainly we can say, well, it was because God was giving them a chance. God was giving them chance after chance to let his people go. He knew that Pharaoh's heart would be hardened. Now You might read in the scripture, it says, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. There's, there's disagreement about what that means. And you've maybe had that conversation with people. Did, is it really a choice if God hardened Pharaoh's heart? But there's an old saying that says this, that the same sun that softens the wax softens the clay, or hardens the clay. God's voice will either soften your heart or will harden it, and you can blame it all on God, but that's not always the case, is it? When you've hardened your heart, sometimes hearing the same voice after you've hardened your heart will further harden your heart. It's not that it's God's desire for your heart to be hardened, but it further hardens your heart. So the scripture says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I've said this before, you've heard me say this a few times, but God never says the Assyrians had hard hearts. He never says the Babylonians had hard hearts. Who always had hard hearts? His own people, the people that heard his voice, the people that saw his works. Pharaoh only had a hardened heart after he heard the voice of God and resisted. But anyways, God said his heart was to be hardened, so God knew from the beginning that Pharaoh would say no. So why the plagues? Yeah, he's giving them a chance. But I want you to see in in Exodus chapter 9 what God could have done. Exodus 9, 13, verse 12, it said, The Lord had hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Still, you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. So here, God is, yes, standing on defense of his people, standing in covenant with his own people, standing on behalf of his people who he calls his firstborn. But I I, I notice, you notice something a few verses back. He says, if I had wanted to, I could have struck you with pestilence and you'd be cut off. You see, the easiest way for God to let the Israelites go would have been to kill all the Egyptians, and he could have done it. Why didn't he? Number one, God is a God of mercy, who gives mercy after mercy, even to the heathen. This is the same God that sent Jonah to Nineveh, to the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the cruelest empire that made the Nazis look like flower children. You know, it was, the Assyrians were bad, and God sends sends Jonah there to say, repent and I'll spare you. This is the God who could have wiped them out, and he didn't. The same God says, if I wanted to, like, look, Pharaoh, look what I'm doing. If I wanted to, I could have cut you off. I could have sent pestilence. You'd be cut off. But I've I've let you live. And one of the reasons that you're going to get to walk away with after all of this is that all the nations, including you, will know who I am. All the nations will know my power. All the nations will know my glory. This is a theme that he says over and over again to the Israelites. I've chosen you that you would show my glory. Spirit and I had a conversation after men's group on Monday night. Why did God pick a people to be his chosen people? And if if you stroll through the Old and the New Testament alike, you'll find over and over again, he says, I've chosen you so I can show my glory to the nations. God did not choose a people so he could put them in a bubble, shoo everybody off, and have quiet time with them. God chose a people so the world would know who he was, to show his glory through those people, and in fact, to show his power, his glory, that his name would be known. And it worked, guys. Do you remember what happened in Joshua chapter two when the spies are taken in by a woman named Rahab and they're taken in and she lives in Jericho? She says, we heard about you. We've all heard about your God, how he split the water. He says, fear, she said, fear has filled this land. We've all heard about you guys. In fact, even hundreds of years later, people were still talking about God bringing the Egyptians out of bondage. He made his name known. He said to Abraham, you and your descendants, through you and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, we know the ultimate fulfillment of that was in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, all the nations of the earth were blessed. Jesus was the light to the Gentiles. And yet, the Israelites were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles as well. You'll notice that every time the prophets Get on to the Israelites for for going off and following other idols. God says to them, you guys are supposed to be the light to the world. What have you done? Yet he takes them back over and over again like a loving father. So he says here, I want to show you my power. And in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Later in Exodus chapter 14, he says... I'm doing this so that the Egyptians will know who I am. And he says it again so the Egyptians will know me. God wanted even the Egyptians to know him, to know his glory, to see his power. Now, you, got, you might, if you, if you think this way, one of God's objectives in the world, thank God, God cares for his people. One of his objectives in, 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 in the creation of the world throughout history, is to show his glory, is that his glory would be known. And you might think, well, that sounds awful egotistical, doesn't it? What kind of, what kind of guy just, I mean, cares so much what people think of him that he, he constantly wants to make sure his, he, everybody knows how powerful he is and everybody knows how glorious he is. But you see, that's where we get our life. Humanity was created fellowship with God. Humanity was created to worship. Humanity was created to love and be loved by God. And when he is given glory, when his glory is known, he gets back to the top where he belongs. Now, let's just make this straight. He's at the top. You can't knock him off the top. But the question is, is he at the top of your heart? Is he at the top of your neighbor down the street's heart? That's the question. Nobody can knock God off the throne. But there is a throne of our heart. There is a throne in society. There are thrones and dominions over our nation. And his glory, his glory when it's known, when he is known, it changes not only our hearts, but it changes the hearts of people around us. We were created to show the glory of God. Adam and Eve were created to demonstrate the glory of God to be examples of the glory of God. But what happened? They sinned. What does the Bible say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God had a redemptive plan. And you see it through Israel. You see him demonstrate his goodness to Israel. You see him demonstrate his power through Israel. You see him demonstrate covenant to Israel. And his glory is being made known, not just to Israel, but to the world. The world was supposed to look at Israel and see the glory of God. Now here's the good news, and I'm skipping ahead, but I'm just too excited about the future of this. I can't wait 20 minutes to get there. The glory of God. The Bible says this, though our hearts were in darkness, though our eyes were blinded that we could not believe, the same God that spoke light into darkness has shone light in our hearts. And it says this, to show the glory of God in the face of Christ. See, if all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, what happens when you take sin out of that verse? You no longer fall short of His glory. We are now still with the same mission, but with new equipment and a new and better covenant meant to show the glory of God, and that glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's just go on here, and we'll read some more, and then we'll skip to the fun part. I want you to see this, and uh, if we had, you know, a few days just to read Scripture straight, and, and people brought packed lunches and sleeping bags for their kids then we could go through every verse in the Old Testament and new that says that the Israelites were for God's glory. But I want you to see it in his own words. I want you to see how important this is to God. Isaiah chapter 49. Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar, now, when you read peoples, doesn't that sound like bad English? You know, people is already plural, man. You don't need to add an S to it. The reason it says peoples is not because it was just a typo. The reason it says peoples is because it's because it's talking about multiple nations, multiple ethnic groups, multiple people groups. So God is not just addressing Israelites in this verse. He's addressing the world. All you peoples from afar... So we could translate that, listen to me, you islands, listen to me, all you races from afar, all you tribes from afar, all you nationalities from afar. You see, if you read the Old Testament and you just think God was obsessed with Israel and said, the rest of you can just go away. I don't care about you guys. I just care about these people. You'd be misreading the Old Testament. God had a covenant with Israel through Abraham and he kept his covenant, and he said, these are my firstborn. These are my people. He led them. He guided them. He cradled them. He did all of that, but it wasn't just about the Israelites, and every time they lost sight of that, they went off and did stupid things. It was not just about them. It was about the world. God wanted to show himself to the world. He used Israel to do it. Now, who do you think he's using to do it? Now, he... His covenant with Israel has not gone away. But who do you think is meant to show the glory of God in the world today? Church. It's us, isn't it? It's the church. It's Jesus. It's, it's the people of God. It's the saints. We are the ones that are meant to declare the glory of God. And the Bible says in the book of Romans, both Jew and Gentile alike, that he has called us so that we would declare the glory of God. With one voice it says, they may glorify God together. I love the fact that we've been saved for this purpose. What does the Bible say in 1 Peter? It says he has, he, he has he's purified himself. I, in fact, I, you know, I got the reference wrong, but he says he purified himself a people for his own possession, that we might proclaim the glories of him who has called us out of darkness and into light. He purified himself a people for his own possession that we might proclaim and declare the glory of him who drew us out of darkness and into light. So what about these plagues? What were they meant to show? Certainly they showed the restraint of God, right? What did King David say? If not for your mercy, we'd all be wiped out. God could have just done that. Egyptians would have been done. It would have been the easiest way to redeem Israel. Just, yeah, there's no Egypt anymore. Go ahead, take the stuff and walk. Why didn't he do that? Because God still loved the Egyptians. God created the Egyptians. And even though the Egyptians were in rebellion, and even though the Egyptians were persecuting his people, he could have killed them. He didn't kill them. He showed them his power. Some did die. But it was a a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percentage that would have died if God hadn't held back. He said, I want the Egyptians to know me. You ever wonder what saved Rahab? What saved Rahab? A Gentile who had no covenant with God, and yet she becomes one of the ancestors of Jesus himself, grafted into the covenant. What saved her? I'll tell you what saved her. What saved her was her knowledge of what God did back there for those Israelites. What saved her was her knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And it was to the Israelites on their journey to the promised land that God said to them in that moment, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. See, we we use that in the New Testament sense, and we should, because through Jesus Christ, that's become a major reality. But even back there with them, he says, the whole earth will know the glory of the Lord. And when people acknowledge the glory of the Lord, they're saved. It saved the Assyrians It saved the Egyptians. It saved Nebuchadnezzar's pathetic behind. Guys, it saves people when they know the glory of God. And God has shown his glory now in the face of Christ, in our hearts, through the church. I love this. If the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, what does it say in the New Testament? He put Jesus as the head of the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all and is in all. It says he became the firstborn of all things that he might fill all things. Firstborn amongst many brethren so that he might fill all things. God's desire is to fill Lloyd Minster. And the way he fills Lloyd Minster is with the saints. Because Lloyd Minster will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Canada will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Not just rumors, but experience. Listen to me, O islands. Pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. He has made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel. That's important that we notice something here. Many, many times the, the prophecies in the Old Testament had multiple meanings, had multiple applications. Some, many of the prophecies that, we, that refer to the Messiah had an immediate, uh, immediate meaning to the person that was hearing it. For instance, when God says, this will be a sign to you, he, the person who was hearing it wasn't, wasn't thinking thousands, uh, you know hundreds of years later, this will be a sign. He was thinking right now. And so this chapter here, applies to Jesus, but it also, he, he names who it applies to first, and that's Israel. And it certainly describes him, doesn't it? Yes. I've hidden you, I've concealed you, I have made you a select arrow. I've put you in my quiver, I've, I've put you in the shadow of my hand. Then he says, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will show my glory. Now listen, if Israel is just a bubble, It's just a preaching to the choir. It's just an echo chamber. Then what's the point? But Israel was meant to show his glory to the whole world. Then it says this. But I've said, I've toiled in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and with my reward, with my God. Who said that? The prophet is saying that now. He's now, says the Lord, who formed me from his womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him. So now the prophet is saying this. So that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord. And my God is my strength. He said it's not a small. Is it too small a thing. That you should be my servant. To raise up the tribes of Jacob. And to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will make you a light. To the nations. So this could apply in three different ways. It applied to Israel. It applied to the prophet. And it applied. It was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I will make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So even in the old covenant, God's saying to Israel, you're my light. And my light is meant to reach to the ends of the earth. Now, like I said, we know now the fulfillment, the maximum, the ultimate uh, manifestation of this was in Jesus Christ. Even, even says this, even though he came, you got to remember, when Jesus first came, when the Gentile woman comes up to him and says, you know, I need a miracle, I need healing, he says to her, like she's, she's asking on behalf of you know, one of her kids, he says, you know, do I give the bread to the children or to, to the dogs? That sounds like a terrible thing for Jesus to say. This nice woman has just come to you asking for a miracle. Which you're doing all over the place and you you basically call her a dog and say, "No, miracles aren't for you. Healing isn't for you." What does the woman say? Of course Jesus knows. The, that's not the end of the conversation. If Jesus if, I mean, you guys know Jesus didn't actually get ready to walk away and go, <laughs> "I showed her. Not wasting my time on those Goyim, you know." He didn't say that. He was waiting for her response, and she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the children's table. He said, I haven't found that great of faith anywhere in Israel. You got your miracle. And the two times, right, the two times he marvels at someone's faith, they're Gentiles who have no expectation of him, no no pride in themselves. They know they have nothing to bring to the table. They just believe that he is. You're a healer. They didn't come to him like the rich young ruler saying, I kept all the laws. They knew they didn't. They didn't even know what the laws were. But they knew this, you're a healer. And their faith impressed Jesus. So what am I saying? Jesus, even when he first came, came first. He said, I've come to the house of Israel. But then there's a moment when these Greeks wander over. And it says, this is to fulfill the scripture which says, that it talks about the Gentiles coming to the light and him being a light to the Gentiles. Now, that, even, that, that was amplified on the day of Pentecost, right? When those people began speaking in other tongues and everyone heard it in their mother language, that was the moment that the church exploded. And that was the moment that, that the doors opened wide to the Gentiles to be part of the family. I think I'm trying to squish too much in this little bubble, but let's just keep going. He says, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I want you to skip over to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah 2, this is centuries after the Israelites have come out of Egypt. He said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem. Saying, thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth. That's funny. Because when we think of the early days of Israel, we think of these kids going to the promised land. Devotion is not the word that pops into mind. They seem like they're a little less than devoted. But he says, I remember the devotion of your youth. He says, the love of your betrothals. You are following after me in the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord. Holy means separate, special. The first of his harvest, you notice that? It doesn't say they're the only of his harvest. They're just the first of his harvest. This whole time, God is preparing Israel because he has an eye to the big harvest. They're the first, but they're not the only ones. He talked about a flock that I have and, I, and even Jesus said this, there are sheep that are not of this fold that are coming in. All throughout creation, God had an eye on us Gentiles. Yes. Now thank God, if there's some Jewish folk among us, God had an eye on you and you got first crack at it. But isn't it wonderful that even then he doesn't say Israel was my harvest, he says they were the first of my harvest. Yes. Then he says this, they're the first of my harv- his harvest and all who ate of it Became guilty. In other words, everybody that tried to devour the Israelites became guilty. Evil came upon them, declares the Lord. What did we see? We saw plagues. We saw judgment on them. And they brought it on themselves, didn't they? What did God say? One of the first things he told Moses to say to Pharaoh is, You're picking on my firstborn. I'm going to pick on your firstborn. That sounds harsh. But we're talking about one compared to millions. And he says this in verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what injustice did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me, and walked after emptiness and became empty? Isn't that funny? God is where the fullness is. He is where the life is. He's where the provision is. He's where the joy is. You walk away from God, you're walking after emptiness. What will you find? Emptiness. What will you become? Empty. Then he says this they did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us out of the land of Egypt? Who led us through the wilderness? Through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of deep darkness, through a land that no one crossed and where no man dwelt. I brought you into the fruitful land to eat its fruit and its good things, but you came and you defiled my land. You, my inheritance you made an abomination. The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? What do you think you guys, are, like from this, what should they have said? It's really simple. Where is the Lord? <laughs> that's your first thing you should say. Where is the Lord? When trouble comes, what do you say? Where is the Lord? And there's two ways you could say that. Where is the Lord? Like he's abandoned you. Or you could say, where is the Lord? What did David say? I lift my eyes up to the hills where my help comes from. Your first instinct. That's what faith is. It's that instinct to say, where is the Lord? And King David shows us it over and over again. How many times does he say, I have no options. I'm surrounded. I'm going to die. And then he says, then I went into your sanctuary, and I saw what you saw. And you put me on a rock, and I could see above the heads of my enemies. Another place he said, I went to the sanctuary, and I perceived their end. Surely you set them on a slippery slope. See, when we say, where is the Lord, we find our deliverance. We find our help but they didn't say, where's the Lord? What'd they say? Where's our king? Where's our army? Where are those other gods to save us? They didn't say, where's the Lord? He says this. He says, the rulers transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not profit They prophesied by Baal. They walked after things that did not profit. Therefore, I will yet contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your sons I will contend. For cross to the coastlands of Kittim and see. And send to Gedar and observe closely. And see if there's been such a thing as this. Has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. What was their glory? Their glory was him. Their glory was His glory. They were meant to show His glory. They exchanged His glory for something totally fake, for gods that weren't gods, for wells that were dry, for for food that didn't satisfy. They changed their glory for that which does not profit. What does that tell you? If man would seek the glory of God, if we would receive the glory of God, if we would acknowledge the glory of God, it would profit us. We'd be better for it. Humanity will be saved by the glory of God. It's the glory of God that changes people. It's the glory of God that saves people. And, and all of those things that he is, now when I say his glory, maybe we should def- try to define that, but it's hard to define we could talk about the manifestation of the glory of God, you know, that heaviness, that cloud that they'd see, you know, Moses said, show me your glory, and God lets him show just the trail behind him, but that's just the physical manifestation of the glory of God, what's included in the glory, you know, Moses said, show me your glory, what did God say to him, I'll show you my goodness, God's goodness is part of his glory, See, if you dig in to what he said to the Israelites, there's a part where he talks about showing the nations his glory, and he says, because, he said, I didn't deliver you from Egypt because you were mighty. I didn't deliver you from Egypt because you were many. I delivered you from Egypt because I loved you and my covenant that I made with your forefathers. So God's love and his faithfulness are part of his glory. His power is part of his glory. His name and His glory are one. So you guys could just rattle off attributes of God. When we know, when we have a revelation, you know, Kim prayed today that you would have a revelation of the love of God. Do you realize when you have a revelation of the love of God, you have a revelation of the glory of God? When you re- have a revelation of the goodness of God, you have a revelation of the glory of God. When you have a revelation of His holiness, you have a revelation of His glory. When you have a revena- le- revelation of His power, You have a revelation of his glory. Everything that God is, when it's made known, we're talking about his glory. And we felt the glory of God. So we could all just like sit around for hours and pass the mic around and say, what's the glory of God mean to you? And we could talk and talk and it'd be different. Because if the glory of God could be easily defined, it wouldn't be as glorious, would it? It's so big. It's so great. It contains so much. It contains all that He is. And when God showed His power on behalf of the Israelites, He proved a bunch of things. He proved He kept His covenant. He proved He loved them. He proved He was merciful because He could have wiped them out. He proved that He was powerful. Because what I didn't read was that with the first few plagues, they had magicians and sorcerers, the Bible says, who had dark arts that were able to replicate or appear to have some of the same miracles that Moses showed. Which is kind of freaky, isn't it? Some of it may have been trickery, but some of it may have been straight-up demonic. And Until the gnats, when Moses struck the ground and gnats came out of the ground and started attacking the people and their livestock. Then the magicians tried to do the same thing and they couldn't. And they said, this is the finger of God. Who would have ever thought it would have been the flies and the gnats that say, this is the finger of God. I mean, we can make the water turn to blood. We could do a bunch of stuff. We can't make gnats come out of the ground. This is the finger of God. Flies. Ironically, Ironically, one of those false gods, one of those, that the father of lies himself was called Beelzebub, the, the lord of the flies. But he couldn't conjure up the flies because what are flies and gnats but created things? And only God can create. Bring it to the New Testament back, back again. If Israel's goal, if their purpose And I believe there was more than one purpose, but one of the main purposes for Israel being chosen was to show his glory to the nations. I believe it was also because God wanted a line that Jesus could come through. But he's showing his glory to the nations because God did not give up on the nations. He wanted to reveal himself to the nations. In fact, in the book of Acts, he said, you guys have been grasping blindly, but God has not totally hidden himself. He's made himself known. He made himself known through creation, he made himself known through many ways so that you, even you who did not know God, might find him. But now in this new covenant, the doors have been opened wide. God said to Peter, don't ever call unclean what I've cleansed. And he was talking about the Gentiles. The doors were flung wide open. The book of Romans said that we with one voice may glorify God together. We read in The New Testament, how it talks about us, as we use the gifts that God gave us in serving one another, we are being good stewards of the grace of God. And in doing so, we glorify God through Jesus Christ. God must be glorified. He deserves the glory, doesn't he? He deserves the glory. I want you to see how God does things. Once again, the easy way is not the way God picked. The easy way would be to wipe out the Egyptians. He didn't do that. The easy way for God to easily show his glory, maybe today in Canada, would be to show up on Parliament Hill with a thousand angels and just do a light show. But he has instead chosen his people to be representations of the glory of God. We are meant to display the glory of God in the face of Christ. And here's how miraculous it is. God compares it to God speaking in the darkness and saying, light be. So here's what happened when you got born again. Somebody died and somebody was reborn. You were reborn. You become a new creation. What do we say? Old things have passed away, but what are you supposed to behold? Behold, new things have come. You're supposed to look at the new things. The old things have passed away. Praise God. Thank God. Hallelujah. But that's not what you're supposed to be beholding. You can't live your life in reaction to who you used to be. That's right. It might be the start of the testimony, but it's not the entirety of the testimony. Yeah. The bulk of the testimony is not who I was, it's who I am. Amen. And I am now. Whether you feel like it or not, what you are, according to Jesus Christ. You can argue with me, but you have trouble arguing with Jesus. <laughs> according to the scripture, the New Testament, you are now a saint. One who is demonstrating the holiness and the glory of God. You might feel differently, but we are not led by feelings, are we? We're led by faith. Faith glorifies God. God has designed His church to be the glory of God, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? And the Bible says this, and I'll close with this thought. The Bible says this, and I've quoted a lot of scripture tonight. and You can go home and read it all. We didn't have time to, to flip every time I quoted something. But I'll close with this thought. The Bible says that the glory that the Israelites knew, that manifestation of the glory of God, was fading because people were flawed. It was in a flawed vessel. Moses, as good as he was, was flawed. But the glory that we have now because of the new covenant, Paul said, I'm a minister of the new covenant. And this new covenant, he said, if the old covenant, if the ministry of death had glory, how much more? Will this ministry of grace and the new covenant be with greater glory? And it is a glory that does not fade. And I want you to know this. You need to stop believing that the glory of God is dependent on how you feel or how you, how you're reacting. The glory of God is dependent on him. And if you will allow yourself to believe it if you will truly grab onto it he is it's his desire to speak just as he spoke in the darkness and light was he has spoke he has past tense he has spoken into our hearts to show the glory of god in the face of christ you are his light box showing his glory through jesus now go ahead and accept that right now that's who i am stop fighting it Stop running away from it. Stop being ashamed of it. Stop feeling unworthy of it because which one of us was worthy of it before Jesus? None of us. But now through Jesus, his blood has made us worthy. So go ahead and embrace that. I am his means of showing the world his glory. And if he did all that for the Israelites, wow, how much more? How much more now? How much greater now? The Bible tells us that his glory will be greater in these last days than it ever was in the old. The former and the latter are coming together. That as great as the the Old Testament miracles and signs and wonders were, they'll be greater in these days. As great as God's glory was shown back then, it'll be greater in these days. I believe that. I'm just going to have to receive that. Will you receive that with me? Amen. Let's stand up tonight. Let's just pray.